every person counts. In 2009, when we set out to establish a long-term relationship with a community in El Salvador, we were well aware of the common pitfalls of how easily good intentions can result in charity instead of partnership. The Latin American writer Eduardo Galeano uses the words vertical and horizontal when describing relationships between North Americans and Central and South Americans. Charlie Clements, author of Witness to War, describes it this way. Vertical means an encounter in which one has power, wealth, or status, and reaches down to another, often involving charity or pity. <clears throat> Horizontal means that while such differences exist, people reach across to one another to meet in solidarity, recognizing one another's inherent dignity and worth. In Galliano's words, in the real human relationships, the real ones are horizontal. Horizontal, not vertical. One goal of our first delegation was to craft a partnership agreement. To do so, we engaged in a collaborative and inclusive process to articulate our promises to one another. The agreement continues to serve as the foundation for our relationship. Copies of the partnership agreement, written in English and Spanish, and signed by the delegates and the members of the community, are posted over here. We hope that you will read our agreement. In writing the partnership agreement and in getting to know the community, we use a process known as community capacity building, developed by Dr. Richard Ford at Clark University. Community capacity building is based on the belief that community members are the experts of their own reality. In this model, our role as North Americans and people of relative privilege is to facilitate participatory planning sessions utilizing tools to get community members involved and their ideas on the table. Well, actually on the flip chart. Working with the community, the village council, we invite everyone in the community to participate in a series of gatherings where men, women, and youth share their ideas, rank and identify highest priority needs, and create action plans to address them. Through this process, El Rodeo identified potable water and repairs to the soccer field as their top priority needs and have begun outlining action plans to address them. Implementing this dynamic process requires skilled facilitation. Our own Sean Taff Morales, working collaboratively with folks from El Rodeo, was one of the fabulous facilitators. In addition to his fluency in Spanish, Sean's inclusive manner and the depth of his understanding of Central America were invaluable. As Sunday School Director, I've known Sean since he was a child. It is awesome to work side by side with Sean and experience him as an incredible, competent leader and peer 
As an educator and mentor, it doesn't get any better than that. A challenge for any religious tradition, particularly one which espouses deed before creed, is how to live the mission. Each week, we sit in this room and read our statement of purpose, the final line which reads, doing our part to create a more just and loving world for all. I think we are doing our part as we use community capacity building and intentionally building horizontal relationships with our friends in El Rodeo. And in doing so, we are taking ethical culture out of this room and creating a more just and loving world. Many of you will remember when West Teen, George Taylor, shared reflections from his first delegation experience. He said, at first, I didn't want to go on the trip, but my dad wanted me to go because he thought it would be something good for me. George described how he immediately connected with the community through soccer games and deep conversations. He told us, my second day, it hit me. I'm only here for a week, and already I've built a connection with almost everyone here. In summary, he said poetically, the bond I had with the community was like a scar on me where I couldn't and wouldn't want it to go away. Before George left the community, he made a commitment to his new friends. He was coming back. Within a couple months, he had a job and a plan to work every weekend and to save enough money to return to El, El Rodeo and stay for a month. George arrived three weeks ahead of the delegation. He lived with Carlos and Esperanza's family. Each day, he accompanied Carlos to the milpa, to the fields, or he worked around the house. He played football each afternoon, engaged in lively conversations each evening. He felt connected, nurtured, and loved. What did George glean from living in the community for a month? He learned that life in a rural community in El Salvador is complex and nuanced, just as it is in a North American community. Though we've been at this for a few years, we've learned that we still have much to learn. We are not the experts. Our role is to listen and learn and build relationships. And it is through our relationships and our support of the community's action plans that we can make a difference. George is a senior at Walter Johnson High School. As he applies to college, he's considering a major in physical therapy or international studies. When pressed, George says he'd really like to learn to facilitate community capacity building. George's story is our story. It's a story of relationship, compassion, commitment, and action. 
It's a story embodying the guiding vision for our programs for children and youth, which states, when children and youth come to West, they learn to know, love, and live ethical culture. They gain a sense of spiritual vitality through awakening their personal capacity for love and compassion. They find opportunities to make a difference in people's lives through service within West and the larger community. As I close, I invite you to consider getting involved with our programming for children and youth. These amazing young people are the fruits of our collective labor. They are the future of ethical culture as they live it and take it out into the world. I'm proud of our Global Connections work in which we not only talk the talk, we walk the talk. And isn't that how we learn to love, live, and know ethical culture? Now it's my honor to introduce Justin Taft Morales, another amazing West team. Hello, my name is Justin Taft Morales. Um, I grew up in the Sunday school with Peggy, uh, witnessing countless trips to El Salvador through international partners, and watched eagerly as my sister went on the first Global Connections trip, led in part by my brother. I was finally old enough to go, and with my siblings with me, I traveled, down, I traveled to the town of El Rodeo this July. On our second day in El Rodeo, we had a meeting with a few shy teens from the community to plan a survey to learn a little bit more about every household in the community. Afterwards, a boy about 18 years old, who was too shy to join the meeting, came up to me and started talking to me. His name was Erson. He told me about how he had always wanted to be an artist. He drew my name on a piece of paper with incredible intricacy. His brother, he told me, had said he would make a great tattoo artist. I would agree, but Erson prefers giving art as a gift because he believes it to be so much more meaningful. He told me about his family. They live in a one-room house, the eight of them. He told me of his sixth brother that his mom had put up for adoption because he wouldn't have survived otherwise. He needed a transplant and is now in a hospital in the States. His mother has been unable to contact the family that adopted the child for years. A few days after we first talked, Erson wrote me a letter. I'm not going to read a portion of it. This is my attempt at a translation. He wrote it somewhat poetically, so the translation is somewhat rough. Some people visited my community. Some, upon arriving, got sick. Nonetheless, they like the atmosphere here. They've seen new faces. They've had some ideas, they've been respectful, and have wanted development for the community. They're people of goodwill. They don't come with bad intentions, and I hope they take a good image of the community with them. I'd like to visit them, but I can't. And I stay here wishing and imagining how beautiful it must be. It's not like our little town. To have new friends and to share experiences between people of my community and theirs, I would have to be a sophisticated person with a high quality of life, not like what I am, to have many friends. This is not necessary for me to be able to travel, if that's why they make my life harder if I dream, and today I only live in the reality that I have. I don't know where I'm going or where I'm coming from. I only observe what I have and what I could achieve in my studies to work soon, my destiny. It is very difficult to think about the impossible and what I could never do. I feel that I'm going to achieve my dream. Reading this letter was, it was incredible. It gave me such a different perspective on what I was doing there. 
One thing he, along with many other youth in the community, said to me was that they wished for us to tell their story, to keep telling their many unique stories. This was part of Ersam's story. Um, next talking will be Susan Renner. <clears throat> I'm an oral surgeon and a West member for about 11 years. I could start this out with a dissertation of why oral health is a part of systemic health and tell you about the relationship of periodontal disease to cardiovascular disease and low birth weight babies, and et cetera, et cetera, and how these trips provide me with an opportunity to practice some of the things that I love to do. But I won't. What keeps me going back is the relationships and the changes these relationships have made in my family. In 2003, I took my first trip to El Salvador with the West teens, including my son Tal, right after his coming of age year. I had no idea what I was doing, mounting a dental delegation in a rural village. I read books and emailed dental suppliers, collected antibiotics and medicines, and I was on my way. I was on my way to falling in love with a small community, Aguaje Escondido. I went back for four years straight the story of their teeth and their mouths told me a lot. Significant dental caries, periodontal disease, broken and missing teeth. Many had never seen a dentist. The community had a strong female leadership. Hardly ever saw any men. They had incredible energy. I found that although they had very little, their diet included lots of candy, sugar cane, and other carbohydrates leading to lots and lots of bad, bad teeth. I mounted a program to try to see as many people as I could in two weeks for extractions, restorations, and whatever else I could do, including lots of oral hygiene training and teaching the mothers about what causes decay, and with the help of many people, gave everyone toothbrushes and toothpaste out the wazoo. I had wonderful dental assistants, one of which is sitting right here, young and old who closed their eyes when there was a lot of blood, but steadily held the flashlight and irrigated the surgical site. I did not lose one assistant. <laughs> After four years, with only one visit per year, I could see a significant difference in the oral health of the community, especially in the kids. They were so proud that every year I had a proclamation of no cavities this year, of course, circumstances being what they were in El Salvador, I was unable to return. Politics, the NGO, et cetera, et cetera. And I often wonder about India, Lucia, Carlos, and the many others. I miss them desperately. A quote from Margaret Wheatley sums up my feelings. Real power and energy is generated through relationships. The patterns of relationships and the capacities to form them are more important than tasks functions, roles, and positions. After four years in Aguaje, I bounced around for two more summers in different communities doing my thing, but it wasn't the same. There was no time to develop relationships. So this year, I had an opportunity to start again in our sister community, El Rodeo. The trip started out with a little stress. As we arrived in El Salvador, I was selected to be one of the people having my bags inspected with detail. Unfortunately, they found my anesthetic carpules. They didn't see the antibiotics and pain medicine stuffed way in the bottom. After much discussion, my entire supply of anesthetic was confiscated. 
even pleas from our good friend Christina could not convince them to return it. I was a little distressed. I couldn't try to work. How was I going to work without anesthetic? Believe it or not, dentists do use anesthetic. <laughs> the first days without anesthesia were spent doing cleanings and so forth and so on. And finally, um, one day with great fortune, fortune one of our uh, delegates, Grace Sanabria, had her father in El Salvador. He's Salvadoran and does a lot of work down there. We called him up and he got us a do donation of anesthesia that would last us the rest of the trip. It was wonderful. Many people in Alde Rodeo were exceptional and caring, but one person stood out. Chepe. He hung around my outdoor clinic every morning before going to the fields and every afternoon in the hot sun. He was a member of the Adesco, which is the village council. And I had been told he was a little bit skeptical of our visits. He finally came up to me and said his gums were bleeding a lot. He said they bled daily and he was concerned. He wanted his two young daughters also to be seen. With a quick exam, I could see that he had fairly advanced periodontal disease, and I scheduled a time for him to come back later in the week. And in the interim, I told him that this is the way he should brush three times a day and floss. Even if it continued to bleed, it would get better, and then we would do a deep cleaning. Chepi quietly said, I don't own a toothbrush. I was for a minute totally quiet. I thought, what does a toothbrush cost here in the States? Less than a dollar, two dollars? Not much, but for this proud man working in the fields, it was too much. I could solve the problem easily and provided the whole family with toothbrushes, toothpaste, and floss, sepia y pasta y hilo. He was so happy the next day when he came to report that even the baby was starting to brush every day, several times a day. As the days passed, there were again willing assistants who were able to help me out, and the crowds grew more and more as they became less afraid of coming to the dentist. Nobody got woozy, and it allowed me to begin to fall in love again. Again, as Margaret Wheatley said so well, once individuals link together, they become something different. Relationships change us, reveal us, evoke us, more evoke more from us. Only when we join with others do our gifts become visible even to ourselves. Good morning. In 2004, I was among several West teens and adults who traveled to a small village called Hacienda Vieja in Cabanas to help build a preschool. This was a quiet farming community settled in a green mountain valley. But sometimes at night I could see a light and hear a faint clanging coming from the top of a distant black foothill. My host family told me that it was a gold mine called El Dorado. It was owned by a Canadian mining company called Pacific Rim. Cabanas, where our sister community El Rodeo and the El Dorado gold mine are located, is the poorest, most conservative, and one of the most rural of the 14 departments in El Salvador. 
Pacific Rim began test drilling there in 2001. They had reason to believe that there were large deposits of gold and applied for an extraction permit in 2007. When they began the exploratory mine, the price of gold was about $150 per ounce. Last week, it was $1,700 per ounce. It has been estimated that the amount of cyanide-laced water required to mine the gold and separate it from the surrounding rock is 75 to 100 liters per second because water is scarce but essential to their agricultural way of life, a local environmental movement formed to oppose the mine. Pacific Rim funneled a boatload of money to the alcaldes, the municipal mayors, to win their support. On July 2nd, 2009, the region's leading environmental activist, Marcelo Rivera, was disappeared. Three weeks later, his tortured body was found at the bottom of a 60-foot well. Three gang members were arrested and charged with the murders, but the authorities never tried to find the intellectual authors behind the crime. Since then, four more environmental activists have been murdered, including Dora Resina Sorto, who was eight months pregnant and holding her two-year-old daughter when she was shot last year. Last December, two youths who had knowledge of Marcelo Rivera's death were murdered. In June, a 30-year-old engineering student was reported missing after being stopped by the police for posting anti-mining banners in his hometown of Ilobasco. He was found a few days later, murdered by two bullets to the back of the head. These targeted killings are reminiscent of El Salvador's infamous death squads of the past. Our friends at the community radio station in Victoria are being threatened with death for speaking out against the mine not once, but again and again and again. The local priest who has a program on the radio barely survived a kidnapping attempt. In May, our friend Maricelo Ramos, who is the news director at Radio Victoria and president of the village council in El Rodeo, was walking alone on a path. She had just left her parents' house when she received a text message. It said, we know you just left the house and we are coming to kill you and your daughter. Her daughter, Isel, is three years old. And Mar Maricela and Isel are here. The last president of El Salvador, an arch-conservative, the Catholic Church, and the current left-center president, Mauricio Funes, have all gone on record against gold mining in El Salvador. The national legislature is considering banning all metallic mining in the small nation. El Salvador has one of the most degraded environments in Latin America. But the country is signatory to CAFTA, the Central America Free Trade Agreement, which can force it to open its mineral resources to U.S. mining interests. Pacific Rim's extraction application was rejected by the government of El Salvador on environmental grounds. Now, under Article 10 of CAFTA, the company is suing the impoverished nation for $77 million in expenses, plus all potential future profits, as well as reinstituting extraction rights. This could mean losses of hundreds of millions of dollars, sums that this poor nation simply has no means of paying. But Pacific Rim is a Canadian corporation. One might ask, how can a Canadian corporation file suit under US trade law? 
Well, after CAFTA passed in 2004 by two votes, Pacific Rim created a shadow office in Nevada and was able to take its case to a tribunal of the World Bank, which last fall certified it to go to trial. We are called to ethical action, to walk with our friends in El Rodeo and with those who are risking death by speaking out for human rights, democracy, and environmental justice. And so the West community was asked to join in this effort. The response has been incredible. In just over a year, here is what West has done to strengthen our relationship with our sister community and address the threats and murders that are happening in Cabanas. You have sent 80 emails to the Attorney General of El Salvador demanding that he open an investigation into the murders and the death threats. Met with the Salvadoran ambassador to the United States to discuss the murders and the lawsuit by Pacific Rim. Provided scholarships for West teens to travel to El Rodeo and deepen our connections with the people there. Donated share the plate funds twice to the radio station to help provide security, continue broadcasting, and get Maricela and Isel out of the country to safety. Broadcast two live messages of support over the airwaves at Radio Victoria and sent other communications as well. Helped translate communications with our friends in El Rodeo. Thank you to Mark and Mibi. Through two fundraisers to support the Salvadoran medical group ASAPROSAR, who has done amazing work among the poorest of the poor in El Salvador. John, George, and Donna Taylor are solely responsible for this effort. Met with Salvadoran environmental activists here in D.C. and in Cabanas to learn about their efforts to control their own natural resources. In addition, you have provided water filters for every house and three for the elementary school, ensuring that water, for the first time ever, is safe to drink in El Rodeo. And you have provided financial support for future projects in El Rodeo, where the hope is to work with their water committee to bring clean water to every home, water that does not have to be carried long distances on steep and often slippery paths, but comes out of a tap, just like here. Poco a poco, little by little, your generous and heartfelt support is making a tangible difference. Muchas gracias. And if you want to find out about the chickens, please come to see Lola's slideshow immediately after the platform in the library. Thank you so much.